Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, both campus and community radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson. Joining me shortly will be Peter Salmon. And the topic of today's review I will get to in a minute. In the meantime, a quick plug again for the Guelph Film Festival. It is happening right now. Uh, there's a whole ton of stuff you can see, a ton of interesting documentaries, uh, short and long. We've covered them, covered many of them for the last several weeks on this show, so it feels a bit weird getting back to, like, sort of a semi-normal show, uh, where I'm gonna talk for the first, you know, several minutes, uh, me alone, and, uh, you have that to look forward to on this week's show. Moving right along. End Credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new comedic anthology movie, The French Dispatch, which you can now see in a theater near you. That will be in the back half of the show. To start off the show this week, uh, you know, we, we only get a chance to go really in-depth on one movie, every week here on End Credits. And uh, you may have noticed that a lot of movies come out (laughs) every week. It's not just the one movie. So, you know, sometimes when we're reviewing other stuff, uh, we don't get to review uh, one of the other many different films that come out. And it's been sort of a compounding problem now that we're kind of... Well, I was going to say coming out of the pandemic, but I... Not sure how how much that is true. We're still kind of uh, stuck in it, and uh, the cases have been going up lately. Anywho, um, <laughs> there's been a lot of movies coming out. A lot of them are because they were delayed for a year or more. So I thought I would play a little catch-up with five movies I've also had the chance to see recently. A couple of these in theaters, uh, a couple of these on streaming. Um, I, we did a whole thing, well, I did a whole thing of, uh, organizing the James Bond movies, uh, but back before No Time to Die came out, which was the most recent James Bond movie, it came out almost a month ago now, but it is still in theaters, you can see it, it's also available on, uh, home streaming, so, uh, on premium VOD sites, it is a premium price you'll have to pay, but, uh, if you don't want to go to the movie theater and you really want to see James Bond, and perhaps you've heard there's a spoiler, a big spoiler at the end of the James Bond movie, um, and you don't want to risk going to the theater to see it, now is your chance. My thoughts on No Time to Die, it was probably the most James Bond that one of the Daniel Craig entries have ever been. We've sort of seen, you know, the whole point of going back to Casino Royale was to, like, re launch the franchise, cast off some of the silliness and the the emphasis on the gadgets and big stunts, and get back to basics. And what we've seen over the course of the Daniel Craig movies is they've been sort of building that up again. Um, We get to Skyfall and we bring Q and Moneypenny back into the picture. Uh, We get into Spectre and we we bring the, the, the big bad of the James Bond franchise back, Blofeld and Spectre, and he has a crazy... A uh, silly layer in a uh, impact crater, <laughs> and so we get to No Time to Die, and it is like full on, like it's uh, the the supervillain played by 
Rami Malek, he wants to destroy the world. Uh, he ha- lives on an abandoned island in the Sea of Japan. Um, there's, you know, jumps from a plane. There's uh, a, a stealth glider that becomes a stealth boat. It, <laughs> there's so much going on. I will say that coming out of the movie, there's a finality that I'm not entirely sure I appreciate because the whole thing the whole thing with the James Bond movies is that they're supposed to be kind of procedural at least like the first 20 movies were very procedural indeed um one James Bond movie did not necessarily feed into the next one it was always kind of one and done uh once it's over we go back to first principles and James Bond launches on another adventure but no Time to Die ends with a capital E ending uh, that I won't spoil. But there is finality, which is super weird. Um, and I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Daniel Craig got to choose his ending. He got to chose how he got to choose how it ended. So uh, a lot of the Bonds, I mean, didn't. Roger Moore kind of aged out, but they didn't have like a formal like goodbye, Roger Moore. Uh, Sean Connery just said, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, Lazenby gets one and he's done. And I mean, there's a lot of, when we talked about this, going back to, um, our, our bond ranking that, you know, on her majesty's secret service was dismissed at the time. And a lot of that has to do with like Lazenby didn't want to be attached to James Bond for the rest of (laughs) his life, I guess. And a lot of that had to do with the ending, which is kind of this downer ending. It involves Bond, like, making a, a commitment. There's just so much going on with that movie, it's kind of immediately discounted. But, you know, getting into the modern, Timothy Dalton, he did two movies. He wasn't always supposed to do two Like, oh, there's, a, there's a misconception that Timothy Dalton just, they didn't want him anymore. But MGM, as MGM so often does, the company that distributes the Bond movies, they just had financial difficulties that resulted in them not funding uh, another Bond adventure. And then uh, almost something similar happened with uh, Brosnan. Uh, no time or no time to die. Die Another Day. They both have die in the title. Uh, die Another Day was not supposed to be his last film, but because it took kind of took long for them to figure out what they wanted to do with it, they eventually decided they wanted to reboot the whole thing. Uh, with Casino Royale. And a lot of that was driven with by, by Quentin Tarantino going on around uh, during the press uh, for Kill Bill, saying that he wanted to do a James Bond movie, but he wanted to do Casino Royale, and he wanted to set it in the 60s, and he wanted to be down and dirty, and I guess the Bond producers were listening and said yes to all of that, except for the part about it being in the 1960s and recruiting <laughs> Quentin Tarantino to do it. So, Daniel Craig gets to walk away from Bond on his own terms. I feel ambivalent about the last five minutes of the movie. I did not feel ambivalent about much of the rest of the movie, although I will say almost three hours is a long time for a Bond movie. So, um, I'm going to save the two Marvel movies um, so I can talk about The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which you can now stream on Crave. Missed this in the summer, um, and a lot of that had to do with the fact the theaters were still closed and they released it on 
VOD, but it was one of those like premium VOD tickets, so it's like twenty five bucks, and it's like, well, maybe I'll wait for it to come down. And by the time it came down in price, it was like, I, I saw the press release from Crave that said, well, it'll come out on Crave at the end of October. I said, all right, I'll just wait for it to come on Crave since I'm paying for Crave anyway. Moving right along, though, the devil made me do it. Uh, it's a third Conjuring movie. I think it's like the eighth, ninth overall when you count the, all the Annabelle movies, The Nun. Uh, there was another one I, whose name I can't remember. Um, this one, though, is not directed by James Wan. James Wan directed the first two entries. James Wan's off making Aquaman. He is a producer and still a, a driving creative force for the Conjuring movies, but he, his presence was definitely missing in this Conjuring movie. There, there's a very fine line that the Conjuring movies walk between the idea that all of this is really happening and all of this is maybe in everybody's head. <laughs> um, almost until you get to sort of like the last chapter of things where it's like blatantly obvious there's supernatural stuff going around. The Devil Made Me Do It kind of lacks that subtle touch, unfortunately. I mean, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are still great, but unfortunately, like the film itself is just not that subtle. Um, director Michael uh, Charles he inherits like really strong um production principles like the movie looks great it sounds great uh it's got a couple of good scares but he just does not have that thing James Wan has to sort of lure you in and play tricks with your eyes and do things in the background and uh that, that just isn't there that just subtlety isn't there and then on top of it all, you got John Noble popping in at some point as the next priest, and you're like, okay, well, he's evil. So, <laughs> spoiler alert for The Devil Made Me Do It, but as soon as you see John Noble uh, in a film, you gotta think uh, there's some there's some stuff afoot. Um, so, the two recent Marvel movies that came out, um, the Shang-Chi, which you can now stream on Disney+, Plus. it was released on Disney+, Plus last week as part of Disney+, Plus Day, the massively disappointing Disney+, Plus Day, if you were um, <laughs> a fan of certain quarters, and then the Eternals as well. Shang-Chi, you cannot dismiss the, his the history of it, that it is this, like, Black Panther, it's a predominantly Asian cast, predominantly Asian-driven production team. Uh, it is history, it is important for diversity and for representation, but it's just another Marvel movie. I'm sorry, it's just another Marvel movie. It is entertaining, it is a lot of fun, get some cool Easter eggs, but it's just another Marvel movie. I'm sorry. I just could not jibe with that. I had fun watching it. I watched it from beginning to end. I enjoyed it thoroughly, but it's, it's, just, it's Marvel formula, and again, I've always said this on this show something wrong with the formula as long as you're doing the formula well but come on it's a formula breaking the formula ever so slightly is the eternals which for some strange reason has a horrible rotten tomato score especially up against like other sort of middling marvel efforts like the incredible hulk and the dark world thor the dark world the original thor movie i would even say Ant-Man and the Wasp, although I like that movie, it's still very, very middle-brow. Um, 
But for some strange reason, it's like 46-47% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think a lot of that has to do with how they... Because there's two directions, there's fresh and rotten, and I think there's been a lot of very mixed reviews. So they've erred on the side of rotten. Which is why you should not strictly follow Rotten Tomatoes for all of your film-watching advice. Because something could be rotten... But it could just be mixed. But because there's no middle ground between fresh and rotten. Anyway, I thought Eternals was great. I thought it, I found it very engaging. It's a long movie, but I actually didn't find it very long because it like spans millennia. It spans like 5,000 years. Uh, again, like Shang-Chi has good representation for not just people of color, but for women, for um, same-sex couples for uh, people who are hearing impaired. It's got great humor. Camille Nanjani is great in it. And I can't remember the actor's name. Sadly, it's not right in front of me. But who plays this, like, assistant. He's really funny in it as well. Uh, Gemma Chan, who was previously in a Marvel movie. She was in Captain Marvel as a... I can't remember the name of her character, but she's, like, one of Captain Marvel's teams uh, when she's uh, living among the Kree. She's really good. She grounds everything really, really well. You have Angelina Jolie being a badass. Um, it, it's a lot of fun. The, the cast is great. Um, <laughs> we tiptoe a little bit outside of the comfort zone of Marvel Universe because we have Brian Tyree Henry playing one part of a, a same-sex couple. Um, you have a full-on sex scene in a Marvel movie, which is... Something they have not done, although it's shot from, like, the 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 bust up. So, like, you know, how you see a bust where it's, like, somebody's head, neck, and shoulders. That's pretty much how they shot the scene. Um, but Marvel movies have been so largely sexless that there have been entire, like, think pieces on movie sites written about, like, is Captain America still technically a virgin by the end of <laughs> Endgame? Uh... So, I mean, it is, that is kind of refreshing in the, that regard. My hope is that, regardless of reviews, uh, Marvel doesn't take this as a, as a sign to um, go back to more formulaic filming. And that's okay to stretch. Because I was listening to the Slash Film Daily podcast, and Peter Soretto's talking, like, well, maybe there's a way that, you know, the filmmaker and Marvel can work more tightly together for Eternals 2. Chloe Zhao, by the way, Academy Award-winning filmmaker who should be allowed to do exactly what she wants. My problem is that's how you get a rise of Skywalker, where you get something that is, like, basically built out of studio notes. Instead, of, you know, there's no point in hiring an Academy Award-winning filmmaker if you're not going to let her do what she wants. And, of course, there's already... Like, Chloe Zhao has been very positive about the experience, but uh, she has also said she wasn't able to hire the DP that she wanted. She had to use Ben Davis, who is a very experienced DP working in the Marvel Universe. He did Captain Marvel, and I think he did at least a couple of the Avengers movies, too. So, there you go. See Eternals. This movie needs support. I, I really think it does. Um... Before going to the musical break, I'll just <laughs> drop a couple of words of on Red Notice, 
which is on Netflix. I don't know if one of the gang is going to maybe want to pick this up in the weeks to come. So I'll just like leave a few words here, which I it's perfectly entertaining. It's perfectly fine. You get the three see see three very charismatic actors be charismatic together. Um, but at the same time, the whole movie is a build up to explain <laughs> the title of the movie. It's called Red Notice, and if you don't know, Red Notice is like the highest level of being most wanted on Interpol's most wanted list. Like, if they really want a criminal, they will issue a red notice for that criminal. And basically, the movie ends with uh, the main characters being put on red notice. Spoiler alert. (laughs) So the whole movie is uh, an origin story for why the title of the film is Red Notice. So now you know. Maybe we'll revisit Red Notice again. I kind of hope not. But we'll leave that to the gang. In the meantime, let's talk about the French Dispatch. We're going to take a musical break and come right back. You're listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. His epitaph will be taken verbatim from the stenciled shingle fixed above the door of his inner office. Berenson's article, The Concrete Masterpiece. Three dangling participles, two split infinitives, and nine spelling errors in the first sentence alone. Some of those are intentional. The Kremens story, revisions to a manifesto. We asked for 2,500 words, and she came in at 14,000, plus footnotes, endnotes, a glossary, and two epilogues. It's one of her best. Sazerac. Impossible to fact check. He changes all the names and only writes about hobos, pimps, and junkies. These are his people. How about Roebuck Wright? His door's locked, but I could hear the keys clacking. Don't rush him. The question is, who gets killed? There's one piece too many, even if we print another double issue, which we can't afford under any circumstances. A message from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Don't cry in my office. And that was a clip from The French Dispatch. It's the new film from writer and director Wes Anderson, and it stars Bill Murray, Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Sadeau, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey Wright, and Owen Wilson. I am now being joined on the line by Peter Salmon. Peter, how are you today? Doing good, doing good. Just still living that uh, life life thing that we all got currently. Just, yeah, enjoying that ride here in Ottawa. <laughs> well, oh, I'm in Sandy Hill, yeah. I'm in, I'm in the true, true Ottawa. I'm in that Sandy Hill. There's a true Ottawa and there's a false Ottawa. It's, it's all great. <laughs> that sounds like the start of either a Guy Madden film or a Wes Anderson film. Um <laughs> So we're here to talk about uh, the latter. Uh, the French Dispatch is the new Wes Anderson film. Should say the French Dispatch of Liberty, Kansas, of the Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun, uh, which is the full title. So, Peter, you chose to um, in- indulge in your Wes Anderson fetish and check out the French <laughs> Dispatch. Yeah. So, uh, uh, what was the appeal to 
to go to the theater to see a wacky French art movie. I was just really glad that I was worried that uh, it had already been done. And I, yeah, I love Wes Anderson. I have since I was a little kid, um, but I haven't reviewed one here. Right. Cause the last one was Isle of dogs. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, his animated works. It's just not, you know, they're really great. They're phenomenal works. It's just, I really like his live action. So I just, you know, I have trouble pushing that, pushing that back when um, I'm watching an animated. So I'm, I'm really glad I finally got to review a uh, Wes Anderson. And a live action one at that. <laughs> yeah, it, Isle of Dogs came out, I want to say, in 2018. Yeah, I think you reviewed it uh, with yeah. yes, Tim. Tim, yeah. Tim and I reviewed it. Um, and then this was supposed to come out last year, but got delayed. And the one before that was in 2014, the Grand Budapest Hotel before there was a show. So, <sighs> Yeah, exactly. I would have I napped that one. Yes, uh, I, I imagine so. Um, yeah, I'm a Wes Anderson fan too, although I am a bit more uh, leery of some of his, shall we say, indulgences. Because I, yeah, yeah. I was a big, big, big Rushmore fan. And uh, I was sort of ambivalent about the Royal Tenenbaums. I've come to love it uh, a lot more since. But I have still not gone back to revisit either life aquatic or darjeeling limited um, okay see i actually darjeeling limited might be uh, my favorite out of all of them it's just such a great uh it's just those like those three phenomenal actors in the relationship just driving around right and uh yeah it's, i like it life aquatic it, with steve zizou is it is very erratic it's not its flow isn't good so mm-hmm. that one i would say i, I agree with you on that but uh, darjeeling limited is great Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I like Bottle Rocket too. I'm one of the rarities. I, I enjoy Bottle Rocket. Like you said, I think it's his least in the face. You know, mm-hmm. the my only problem with him, like you said, because I do love him, but he's an tour director, and I think he yeah. worries people aren't going to remember that. So he really does. He puts, <laughs> in, he puts in his elements. You know, he puts in his color changes and his yeah, his uh, fantastical additions too. What could just be more of a regular plot of humans? I mean, he. But his, I love, I love that, right? I love that. His style is so distinctive that, like, Saturday Night Live did a sketch that was like Wes, like a Wes Anderson horror movie, and they just like nail it. And it's not like they had to really go overboard um, to <laughs> to to really sell this idea of the Wes Anderson horror movie. It, it I, I, I gotta look it up here because it, it's. I can't remember what it was called on the sketch, but it is really, really spot on. And I'm not a big uh, Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. Wes Anderson's Halloween or something. Yeah. Or a mad TV man. Yeah. Uh, Although it's uh, the Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders. (laughs) (laughs) Which is even just the title. It's I mean, yes, that is like spot on <laughs> that was sort of Wes Anderson decoding um yeah it, it it's he's he's hit or miss for me and it depends on like how much he leans into all the Wes Andersonisms mm-hmm. and the French dispatch is kind of the ultimate expression of that because there are parts of this film that have kind of a light touch. And there are other parts of the film where he's like really heavy handed. 
very extravagant yeah. yeah i thought it was interesting like you said there was more subtlety and uh some of the some of the sections which which mm-hmm. i enjoyed um or at least more of a uh, um i forget the name of it just the one kind of color that was really popular a couple of years ago more still a color but very more right normal yeah. more yeah yeah like it's like a like a like an old photo that's been bleached out yeah exactly yeah. i guess a uh, very technicolor very technicolor right was, uh, yeah. yeah i enjoyed that um but then also black and white right but yeah that was that was cool too and i think it just depended on the story um the ones uh, in the scenes they picked the black and white for i think worked very well benicio del toro <laughs> you see just like mentioning that segment makes me laugh because i like that was my favorite segment That's, uh, i think everybody's yeah they're all <laughs> all well I, we haven't said I believe they're all great, but that one is objectively it's, it's phenomenal. And the new actress, um, uh, Lisa Doe, I uh, I hadn't really seen her. Well, I have seen her in like James Bond and such, but I haven't seen her have such a, a strong role. <laughs> she was phenomenal. Not many lines, but when she said something, it's just her face, her physical actions are outstanding. Yeah, they make really good use of like this enigmatic quality that she has. Mm-hmm. That. Um, you know, she's kind of like she's kind of got like this resting poker face where you don't know <laughs> exactly what's kind of going on. Yeah. And uh, I think they use it uses her really, really well um, in that segment. And I think it uses everybody. I mean, I don't think Henry Winkler had too many lines, but just like sort of seeing Henry Winkler in a Wes Anderson movie like it made somebody in my theater laugh just like it pops up on screen and it's Bob Balaban and Henry Winkler looking at this I, art and people laugh I made a comment I put I put up a couple <laughs> thumbs it was very silently like hey, you know it was great I uh, I love him in Arrested Development too but he's yeah he's he's the font but um because of Arrested <laughs> Development and because of Barry even though I yes, do think Barry, the fonts, yes. even though I do think of the fonts it's at the point where he's just a great actor so i can enjoy that i i can i could push away the you know the the fonts um and he was yeah you're right it was small but it was really great in it he was the business partner him and uh bob balabon right it was great Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i like that too i don't know if bob balabon has been in yeah he has he's been in moonrise kingdom grand budapest okay okay. yes he's been in a couple he's one of he's one of the i think i always associate him more directly with the a mighty winds and the uh uh, mumblecore works christopher guest yes. yeah no yes. he's he's a regular in both and he was great he was great in this again a small amount of lines but very very good <laughs> they were both uh him him to get those two together were really great alongside um um yeah it was it was very very I mean, adrian brody alongside adrian brody they were very perfect his two little sidekicks there are so many like stars in this who like are in a scene or have a line like uh, like An- Angelica Houston is the narrator, <laughs> and uh, like Elizabeth that Moss, Elizabeth Moss is like the copy editor, and she's like only in kind of like a couple of the office scenes that like are in the beginning and the end. Um, who else? I mean, <laughs> but Jason Schwartzman was in it just a few times. He was like, I think they're like transcriber, or just one of the uh, yeah, like he, one of one of the like I think he was the transcriber for you know, uh, the journalist, uh, their audio, you know, what they were saying and such, but, uh, oh, he was a cartoonist. He was their cartoonist, but yeah, he, he was a small role, but he was, he was good too. And like Cersei Ronan as like a showgirl who just kind of like babysits like the kidnap boy in one of the segments. Yeah, <laughs> It's so bizarre. Like, 
I, I will say like I, I I appreciate that people are like so enthusiastic about working with Wes Anderson. They will literally do anything. But I yeah, mean, even if it's just one scene, <laughs> if you're gonna bring in, clip. if you're gonna bring in Ed Norton, um, like can, like just can he can we do something with him? Like in- he was he was in an okay amount, I guess, and uh, not too many lines, but he was pretty centered for uh, for the final of the sectors. The uh, private dining room of the police commissioner but i know what you mean i would have i would have been yeah very okay with more of him and william defoe in that one too um although his subtlety was kind of key to the william defoe is such one. a character though i feel like I, I i think i almost think that was like kind of enough william defoe because okay okay he yeah he's very <laughs> an extravagant character yeah he yeah i think if you sort of like let him off the leash uh, <laughs> you know he could become it would have taken over yeah you but you know putting him in a in like a holding pen as the the mob accountant of this mm-hmm. this bizarrely multifaceted little french town called ennui um that's <laughs> i think that was enough willem defoe yeah well it was also it's just kind of fun that with all this excessive amount of people it's fun as someone who likes films like being like oh is that is that that guy is that that guy so i'm okay summer just a quick little pop and you know it, it adds that enjoyment um mm-hmm. yeah like Christa, christoph waltz art collector that was i very for- brief and interesting I forgot he was in. Yeah, yeah, very, very brief. I, I totally forgot what the middle segment was because I was sitting here this morning thinking about like making some notes for for the review. I was like, "Yeah, there was the art one with uh, Benicio del Toro as the the artist in prison, and Adrian Brody as the art dealer." Then there was a middle one. I can't remember. Yes. And then there, <laughs> and then there's the dining segment that turns into a police kidnap drama. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the revisions to Manifesto. And I feel bad because like, I absolutely love Francis Morg- uh, McDormand. And um, I used to hate him. But uh, since Dune and a couple other works, I, Timothy Chalamet is phenomenal. But uh, I think it was it was the weakest of the of the three. Or I guess the four, if you're including the, uh, the, the bike little, segment. Uh, yeah, yeah, the bike segment, which was very, very well done. It was great. It was, that was uh, a lot it, of fun. Yeah, yeah, it was it was uh, reminded me of. Um, like just you know, a current current types of documentaries where uh, people are riding around and uh, have the camera facing them, right? Like a vlog. I was picturing you know an early an early form of vlogging because the camera or whatever the 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 camera for the filming of the film was facing him the whole time. But I pictured him holding you know a phone or something like that. That's interesting cool. because I had a similar thought. Um, it's not at least I can't think of another example because it's not usual that Wes Anderson puts the camera itself in motion. That's why it stood out. Exactly. He plants the camera down and says, look at all of my Vista. (laughs) Look at my, look at my meticulously arranged Vista, (laughs) (laughs) but to put like, it it felt like, like some GoPro stuff. Like he puts the camera on the front of the bike facing Owen Wilson. And then you get Owen Wilson's POV riding the bike around this town and uh, there's a scene where he's the camera's like following him uh, as he's as he's riding down the street, and um, he could have just been trying to trying to confirm that it's this is this is the modern times, right? Like this is what the fifties. Uh, this is when uh, all the media that we love really started to boom, you know. So 
I, I mean, I, it, I guess it could be. I, it just it, it felt really unusual. Um, I found it purposeful. I'm sure it was purpose. No, it was duality. It was purposeful, um, but it was it was also very unusual because I don't mm. I don't again I don't remember like movement being a big part of sort of his his camera work and his I mean there there are directors who for whom the camera never stops moving, but you know with Wes Anderson if the camera moves it's like that. It's like that oh, shot like, in the in the kidnap segment where it pans across this like elaborately set up set, but it's, it does it very deliberately, very slowly. So you take it all in. It's not like an action movement, and that's what I found very bizarre. Not I'm not that not that it was bad. It was just bizarre in the Wes Anderson context that he would go along with sort of the fluid motion of the bicycle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess because like have we seen in his films uh, a lot of you know, bicycling. Maybe mm-hmm. it's just he was trying to say this is the best portrayal I could think of for around a bike. He's very um, pro bike, yeah. Yeah, he's pro bike. Bikes are cool. Uh, David Byrne too, the Talking Heads guy. He's cool. So bike up, everybody. Bike on up. Bike on up. Oh, and and Nico was too, but I think she died while riding her bike. So maybe don't <laughs> ride a bike, anybody. Keep on driving. No, no, no. Bikes are cool. Yeah, you're right. I, uh, it, well, and that's just he's an art tour director, right? So he's trying, he's throwing in some of his own beliefs and such. Um, but yeah, I, I forget if it said in the title for the French Dispatch Office, the bikes you were talking about, if it said prologue, because I know for the, it said epilogue for the final scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was just, yeah, just a, a part. I always going in and thought it was three, but, uh, yeah, four parts. But it, it's the first one, everybody is, is very, very short, but great. I actually thought there would be more like maybe some in between segments that were like a minute or two minute long. Um, I, I mean, not that I'm, I never advocate for a movie to be longer, but uh, <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I do wonder if that might've helped sort of, I don't know, make it flow a bit. I mean, if, if, yeah, it could have taken shorter over, segments too. Yeah, it could have taken over some screen time, maybe you know, and you get too related to the French dispatch office workers, where it's the figures they're writing about. You're supposed to, but um, mm. I know what you mean. It would have been okay, maybe halfway, more of a a long scene with yeah, the office workers, Bill Murray and all them. Because I mean, it, it's there's a weirdness. Again, I completely forgot what the middle segment was about until I, <laughs> I looked it up. But um, the manifesto, right? Even I mean, it's weird though. Even though like the the manifesto segment is kind of like heavily um, advertised in the in the like the ads for the film and and because the actors. But yeah, it's I'd say the shortest, excluding well, the bike thing. Like of the of the heaviest three, it's the shortest, or at least has the most uh, the least amount of remembrance to it. I also think it's like the least interesting because I think because <laughs> I don't I, I don't think Wes Anderson has any particular interest or desire in like politics. And, <laughs> no, he doesn't. And, and protest yeah, and revolution. That's very clear. I don't think they ever say directly what the manifesto is for. The I, chess, I, I the, yeah, the chessboard revolution. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. The <laughs> students want more more freedom, I guess. It's just I, it, it feels like he's making a parody of a parody of the dreamers and you know <laughs> it, 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 it sticks out like a sore thumb because i feel oh, like a lot of like 
17 year olds and like 18 year olds and like the, the liberal arts and stuff will enjoy that i think they'll be able to relate to that one might i don't be, i'm not sure they can favorite. i'm not sure they can relate because i i like i in my other it. in my other job i spend a lot of time with, with like young people protesting things yeah that's but, true like the first segment it Answer has fast. an it has an air of authenticity with like the way like arts people will shove their heads up their own butts to <laughs> to justify things and then with the 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 cooking the dining segment at the end where it's like uh he goes to have dinner with the police chief but it turns into like a kidnapping drama with his son like that's i i get that tone because you know those old new yorker stories about like going out and dining are never about like the meal itself it's always about the stuff that happens around the meal so that's a a perfect like encapsulation and um exaggeration of like that kind of writing it just it in the, that student revolt segment it just feels like i i'm wes anderson i'm not political i've never been to a protest uh <laughs> i just i have no idea what people would protest or why they would protest or or how you write a manifesto it just it, it's it seems like his least like he doesn't bring any of that like esoteric knowledge to that segment so it just naturally feels less engaged oh exactly and just like yeah i I did think i thought francis mcdormand did a a great job i thought she was great yeah what she was i found she was portraying a usual french muse for the artist do you know what i mean because in the french era Mm -hmm. it was one of the rarities where like a muse could could be older that was okay They, they seemed to enjoy that so i thought she was a really great portrayal of figures such as uh alice prin or let's see a current one um uffy a uh, 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 a very strong french socialite socialite and muse for the revolutionary artists so mm-hmm. i thought she was a really good uh, portrayal of that probably a a reference and homage to um some of the people alice and prin mm-hmm. kiki de montparnasse mm-hmm. queen of montparnasse <laughs> yeah it just uh i i think i get all that the the, the same like the, the that stuff with chalamet and mcdormand i think is the best part of that segment just the whole construction of that segment just well, yeah felt, the other just felt like he, he could care it like it was none of it is invested with any kind of specificity no or, there's no because <laughs> his girlfriend like his girlfriend is not really much going on like they don't really have any scenes showing why he loves her so much like why no why it's he staying with with his muse right it just like specificity is what sets wes anderson apart it's like i am making a very specific reference to a very specific thing whether it is a record an article a movie or a genre I am using this very specific piece of music that I specifically chose. I have these two actors I have specifically chosen for these specific parts. And I'm shooting this in a very particular way. And when you're that specific, you can't do general. So when he's like out through this like chessboard revolution or whatever it is, where he's, they're on the one side of the barricade, um, playing chess with the mayor who's like in his office and they're like on the blowhorn like brook to d5 it's like okay what is this about 
you can't, like Wes Anderson, you can't slouch now. Like you can't start phoning it in because you're, you're not the guy who phones it in. So what are you even doing? Yeah, it was almost him purpose to be in like, I don't know much about politics. This isn't my jam, but yeah. I'm trying it out. Don't hate me. You know? <laughs> And there was a lot of great aspects, but it, yeah, it was like you said, it was it was the weakest, the weakest by far. Yeah, but to get you know, even going back to the first thing, which as we said is like the strongest one. There, there's a part where it sags, um, where I'm like, okay, I get it. He's a crazy person in jail making art. And... Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I, I you did so. I as a whole, where are you a fan of French Dispatch? Like, would you recommend it? I would recommend it. Okay. Is it your least favorite Wes Anderson? Is it my no, it's not my least favorite Wes Anderson. Okay. I'll I, take that. That's good. It's solidly in the middle on its way to upper tier with okay. with the acknowledgement that it could be recency bias. But yeah, I actually uh, found too it's less it's a bit less pretentious than some of the uh, the ones we mentioned prior. I mean it's way less pretentious than something like mm-hmm. Isle of Dogs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which has pretentiousness coming out, <laughs> coming out of its mouth. Yeah. Uh, it's so. I'm full not, not going to lie. I know I got a little defensive there, but it could have been a bit <laughs> short. It could have been a bit short. The first one, I got, I do, I do remember thinking like, oh, this is still going. Like, how? What are the yes. length of the other ones? Because yes. I know the film's only like ninety minutes, right? I think it's... we couldn't say no to more Benicio del Toro, though. Such a great character. I. Yeah, there's. I think that could have been that segment could have been slipped down because it, it sags at a certain point um, when he's like having his like breakdown because he's like trying to to um, he's feeling the pressure of trying to create the art and he like gets into the electric chair. <laughs> yeah, that period of it could have could have gone quicker. Absolutely, like yeah, that, he that kept taking another year for the. Uh, that's where it sags, work. but then when it when it when he reveals the art. And he's having the meeting with Adrian Brody and he's and Adrian Brody says, like, it's been three years. We've been hyping you up. Where is this new art you're supposed to be delivering to us? <laughs> and he's hedging Benicio del Toro's hedging because he's not sure it's done. And Adrian Brody says, says to him, uh, you know, she says it's ready. Simone, the, the guard, his muse. She says it's ready. Um, everybody else thinks it's ready. When can we see it? And Benicio del Toro just, you know, kind of grumbles like. I could use one more year. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, and, but see, I th- it shows though why he needs her because he was done, you know. So it shows it's not just a you know, sexual or anything like that. It's just no, it's she's but, a phenomenal uh, muse and knows about art. Just that performance, though, just that exchange between oh, Del Toro and Adrian Brody, that brings it back up, and then we go to the big reveal in the prison. Um, that he's made a fre- he hasn't made a painting he's made a fresco it's been painted on the prison wall <laughs> it's and then Adrian Brody has a full blown breakdown um, it, so it it finishes strong there's just a bit in the in, yeah. the in the middle that kind of sags where you're kind of like okay are we still like what 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 gag is there left to you know deliver from this and then it goes from that to the um, the revolutionary segment and then it ends really strong with the the dining segment and i think a lot of that has to do with jeffrey wright's delivery jeffrey wright has just the right voice for that <laughs> for that to narrate that segment oh wait, uh, sorry who who jeffrey, has... jeffrey wright 
Oh, are we talking? Yes. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. If we're talking about that now, the, Jeffrey the, Wright was outstanding. The private dining um, room of the police commissioner. Yeah. One thing I, I want to say is I, I, he's never been a direct focus for my work, but when talking about the countercultural revolution and uh, works prior that helped lead to that, I have had to write and I have had to read some works from James Baldwin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeffrey White's character, Roebuck Wright, a direct amalgamation of him, right? Mm-hmm. And phenomenal. Uh, and another another figure too, AJ Liblin. Okay, I got to look more into that guy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought it was really great, very necessary too. I don't think uh, enough people know about James Baldwin. You know, like mm-hmm. a fifties writer, and he was he was black and gay, right? Like jeepers. Yeah. Um, and Jeffrey Wright was outstanding. I'm a Westworld fan, uh, and he was. Yeah, he was he was outstanding in this. The narration, his movement, look, uh, just walking around the jail cells. He just <laughs> he was strutting. He was strutting everything perfectly. Yeah, he's even wearing like the ascot, like uh, James Baldwin too. Which I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the most explicit reference back to one of the the classic New Yorker people. Yeah, yeah which is funny because it's right after the one we were just talking about, where there's not really any in depth discussion about the historical period and it is in france right and the politics mm. whereas this one yeah it's going it's going really deep into the uh um a lot of the social changes and uh issues that were going on mm-hmm. yeah it's just a lot of fun and uh you know the great little kid too there was the only one where there's oh. like a centered little little kid and he's, he's really good it'd be cool to see him more in the future yeah he was he was a lot of fun um just I think that, that part of the plot too, his relationship with, with the dad. That's cool. <laughs> very funny, very, very funny. Yeah, that's like a very Wes Anderson touch where it's like the kid is, you know, um essentially being, you know, raised to be a little detective. Like yeah. almost, we're almost like preparing. I don't know if Wes Anderson thinks this deeply about it. It's almost like we're preparing like a little spin-off with like uh, Gigi, the kid detective, or something, the the commissaire's uh, adventures of the commissaire's son, or however Wes Craven or Wes Wes Craven, Wes Anderson would like <laughs> to phrase it. Um, but yeah, it it's it's a lot of fun. Um, again, it's you know it's it's very specific. It, you know this kind of French crime caper. Um, where kind of nobody gets hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> even even though it's like there's guns firing everywhere, no one. Get, well, actually, no, that's not true. People do get poisoned. But uh, I thought uh, I thought Leif Schreiber too. I thought he was great. I um again, I that's a him, little, very little rule. It's like Leif Schreiber sit here and just ask, just ask Jeffrey Wright some questions. Yeah, but that was that was a strong part for keeping the uh, the proper flow of um, of that sector that section. Mm. But yeah, no, I know what you mean. Also, I don't know if he's no, he was in Isle of Dogs or whatever. Okay, Leave so, Schreiber. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he's a he's a regular. He's a. Okay. I'm pretty sure he's an Anderson regular. Yeah, I always uh, associate him. I just think a Wolverine. Uh, yeah, X Men Origins Wolverine. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I I'm glad I saw him in a live action one now. Uh, so I'll associate him more with good old Wes Anderson. So anybody listening, if you Lev Schreiber, Leave Schreiber, however you pronounce that. Um, if you only think of the awful Omen 2006 or the phenomenal X-Men Origins Wolverine 2009, uh, maybe watch this one. Maybe watch this film. Change your mind, you know? Uh, Evolve. L- let's, 
let's hold on a second because <laughs> Liam Schreiber was also in Spotlight. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm saying I'm the I'm the problem. I'm the problem. He was he was in Spotlight. Well, I don't. <laughs> he was in Goon. Um, he was in the, the the Demi remake of the Manchurian Candidate. I mean, he's done some things. He was in Scream. No, um, I know. I just well, uh, yeah, hard, hardly. He's a he's a two and three. It's just a cameo in the first, but yeah. No, I mean, if you're gonna thinking... if you're gonna talk about Liam Schreiber's like misses, like you got to go for movie forty three. <laughs> that's if that you... was like it was so many people though there was so many people yeah it was a I don't, cast I don't... of thousands doing yeah but that's why i don't know <laughs> if i counted it was just it was, a film. it was just some stupid art project baloney but anyways yeah despite my that's the know, first and uh, last time I, I guess... that's the first and last time anyone's described movie 43 as an art project by the way <laughs> i was just kidding it's not <laughs> it is as far away from art as you can get um, but yeah, if anybody listening is stupid like me and didn't realize Schreiber, <laughs> Schreiber was a regular, I'd check it out. He's great. Man. Like you said, it's a very small role, but it's needed. It's needed to keep the uh, the plot moving in the final uh, final I mean, chapter. He, I, he's a new regular. I think he came on with Isle of Dogs. I don't think yeah. he's been, but, uh, you know, so he's, he's, the, he's the relatively new kid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's. We haven't talked about Bill Murray because he's the kind of the whole. He's the, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Well, he's, he's the main he's character. Great. He's great. I, I think. Uh, yeah, he's perfect. He's a very loving journalist. He's the kind of guy where when he first appeared, I thought, oh, he'd only be interested in the works, right? He'd hate on everybody. But no, he was strict, but he cared the most about the journalists. You know, he <laughs> yeah. cared. He cared so much about them, and he he pushed them forward to make sure their work was greater and greater. And the reason you can tell at the end is, well, I'm, you know, I'm not sure. Hey, why can you tell this? Thing? It's it's so that it can continue on, you know, continue on with this crew no matter what. Mm. And it's it's done in a very uh, beautiful way. He's strict when needed, but he's, you know, he's got some layers. He's got some layers, <laughs> and they're really it's 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 very well done. Um, and he's in an okay map spread throughout. Not not like not as much as some other people, but he's he's good. Yeah, he's got layer. It's. He's the most regular of the the journalists. It's so it's so funny because he he has a thing over his door that says no crying. And there's the touching scene later where he um, goes and meets um, Roebuck Wright. Roebuck Wright's been arrested. And so Roebuck Wright knows one number and it is uh, the the editor uh, Howitzer, uh, Bill Murray's character's number. And Bill Murray goes to him and offers him a job. And um, says, and and Roebuck writes so touch, like tears start to form, and he and where he turns him just says, "No crying." Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> good. That was good. <laughs> it's so funny, um, and you know, there, there's so many like just as a as a reporter myself, there are so many like yeah, I didn't think great lines. That. It's true. like it's like make sure make sure it reads like you wrote it on purpose, like you wrote it that way on purpose. Is just it's such a great piece of advice that holds so much truth in it. Um, you know, it's it's you can tell it's by someone because it is very much like a love note the the movie to a certain era of the New Yorker. Well, it wouldn't surprise me too if Wes Anderson took part in the where was it N- NYU wherever he went with the Wilsons. They might have mm. uh, taken some taken part in that. 
Right. I don't think NYU, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Wes Anderson himself, you know, dabbled a bit into that. Yeah, it's just it's so much of it. it it's a love of a certain craft uh, that a, a craftsmanship that just isn't like part of, you know, the whole idea that <laughs> the Tilda Swinton character who writes the story about uh, Del Toro, that she would like go to like some seaside in um, to to write the story and that you would be able to expense that you would never be able to get away with even at like publications with money like the New York Times or the New Yorker like if you, you would never go to a resort and write something and then expense it anymore that just doesn't happen there's no. there's no there's barely any money to keep the lights on but uh it, it's such a kind of love note to like that idea um decades ago that you know being a journalist was exotic and exciting and you go to go to far-flung places and write about weirdos instead of like being wedged behind a computer and (laughs) and you know following you know nightmarish tweets from nightmarish people and it's uh, i guess a rise a rise of more you know opeds and works like that or um there's there's a bunch of other yeah journalist titles for uh mm -hmm. for what they're doing yeah it's uh, what they're they're bringing forth. This is the fifties, right? Uh I thought it was the sixties. Sixties? I don't know. Fifties, sixties. Because they were doing color TV, so it felt, yeah. But know. it's I think the the Timothy Shalloway one must have been set a bit in the past. Then, I, well, I think it was the sixties because there was like student protests in France in the sixties. So I think that's meant to like again. It's unspecific because Wes Anderson has no interest in politics at all. So you're not. Yeah, you're right, sure. you're right. But I, I, I believe there was like student protests in the. Yeah, 60s. I was thinking like because that's when that started to arise. But yeah, it's well, yeah, yeah, it was kind of it was yeah, it was kind of more of a '60s thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it just that's it's it's a world that just doesn't exist anymore which is why anderson loves it because yeah i'm glad he didn't i wouldn't want him to say like the specific <laughs> he, year and location and everything he hates the 21st century yeah <laughs> yeah see in that kind of thing it's okay to be broad just not not the, the political not the political part of this right it just again the reason that segment is so forgettable is because it's just it's not very specific whereas like the jokes, the gags, the characters in those other two segments are very, very specific. So, I mean, two out of three, and I guess four if you count the uh, Owen Wilson segment, which we should, because I think it's, it, unfortunately, it's unfortunately, it's so easy to forget. And I love the scene at the end of that segment where Bill Murray's editing his piece and uh, they're, him and Owen Wilson are having a back and forth. That I mean, that just in terms of like journalistic <laughs> collaboration, I, I thought that was beautiful. But yeah. the like three out of four segments of goodness ain't bad <laughs> for an anthology film. Ain't bad. Oh, no. It's yeah, it was great. Well, and it was it was like solely him in it pretty much. So that was cool. Um, I love I love Owen Wilson. I think he's been doing great. I know Wonder was like five years ago now, but it was it was spectacular. Um, the trailers made it look way worse than it was. Wonder, um, yeah, Wonder. They made the the trailers made it seem like it was like half of it was animated and stuff, but that, that's not part of it. That was like the intro. It was just a regular, great biopic. Um, also, just what I want to say, what I figured out now, he's doing a cycling tour of the town Inu, mm-hmm. which, yeah, which is boredom. It's another it's a term for boredom. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> Actually, there's like a full name in the 
in the police segment, I wrote it down if I can decipher my notes because Ennui sur Blase. That is what the, that is the full name of the town. It is Ennui sur Blase. <laughs> so it's really hitting the nail on the head there, Wes Anderson. Anyway, Peter, if people want to talk more uh, Wes Anderson or fake French villages, how can they find you on the internet? Uh, uh, Mr. Towerack on good old YouTube and Twitter, and then Peter Wesley Salmon on uh, TikTok. And that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it, and if you want to listen to it again, you can find it on our website, endcreditsradioshow.com. You can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean, or get it through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, and Spotify. And when you're on Spotify... Search for the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits. Just go to Spotify and search for End Credits on CFRU. You can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio. I will be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics with Open Sources Guelph. And that is uh, with my partner there, Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can go to my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another edition of End Credits, and we will see you then. (laughs) 